Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is April the 19th, 2019. Strong hand. This is where the big boys play. Offended by selling. Value your wealth in Bitcoin. Unconfiscatable. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Okay, we've got some uh, special guests on the show. It is This Week in Bitcoin. We're here every Friday, of course, with a great panel. And Zach Vole has returned. And, of course, Jeff Vandrew Jr. He has returned. And introducing Tony Sanek. He's here in the house straight out of Vancouver, representing the West, representing a different country. They're all linked to below. So I want to start off by reading a tweet that kind of sums up some stuff that happened at the beginning of the week. And we've all heard about it, but let's hear what these guys have to say about it. You are all acting like you have never seen an altcoin get delisted before. If a chain has real demand, some exchanges will list it because there is money to be made. Carry on. And that was Matt O'Dell said that. I thought that was a very good tweet. And it just makes me think about, there, there are a lot of outspoken people out there, a lot of lawsuits flying around, a lot of centralization flying around. Uh, Jeff, what do, you, what do you think about this delisting situation? And, and, well, and, I mean, I have mixed feelings. I mean, I think ultimately, you know, I think it was good that it was delisted. I just, my concern is that it might not have been delisted for the right reasons, right? So BSV doesn't really deserve to be listed because it's a centralized coin uh, that's essentially controlled by a cult of personality around one guy with limited liquidity, right? Those are all good reasons not to list a coin. The fact that he's done some unsavory stuff as it relates to his personal life it's probably, despite the fact that it is very unsavory, probably not the best reason to delist an altcoin. So I guess the short story is glad it's delisted, kind of, I guess, somewhat unhappy that, you know, personal issues like this are what it took to get the coin itself delisted. All right. Zach, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think... Uh... Jeff, what he just said, it basically one and the same thing, like the Bitcoin Satoshi's vision uh, market or investor base is so small that Craig's personality reflects so strongly on it. So delisting it for his behavior makes sense in the sense that he's sort of leading the culture around the coin for all intents and purposes. Now, a lot of people may try to like hardcore stand Bitcoin Satoshi vision for a variety of uh, inexplicable reasons and try and deny that Craig is, has any influence on their investment or whatever, but he's undeniably like the champion of the coin. And so as, when he attacks other people in the space that he's creating this coin in, exchanges who are also participating in the same financial and social space reasonably can react and say, look, we don't want your asset trading on our platform because we don't like you. Um, like Jesse Pat, uh, I think he tweeted it out, or maybe it was in a blog article, I don't remember, but he was like, look, this is the first time we ever delisted something because the founder ended up being an asshole. And it's not just because he's like doing things totally unrelated to crypto, he's being an asshole in this space that his little coin project is involved in. So it makes total sense. Um, and I 100% agree, 110% agree with Matt Odell. Like, it's not a big 
deal at all. Uh, like maybe the the shortness of the sequence that these exchanges were delisting this asset in was a little bit unprecedented. Maybe I, I that's just I don't know. That's an open question. I'm not insinuating anything. Um, but even if it is unprecedented, like no one gives a, a crap about it. Like it's just the way it is. Exchanges list and delist as they wish, and uh, BSV is now delisted from a bunch of major exchanges. Having said that, there, I saw a couple tweets about like these BSV only exchanges or whatever that are popping up to provide liquidity for the market, which is great. Like it's a free market; people can delist your asset, and if people still want to trade it, someone's going to try and meet that demand. And if there's no demand, then your asset probably sucks. So all in all, it's a great development. Yeah, that was that was the bottom line right there. That really was. Tony, what do you what do you think? So, yeah, I agree with Jack, uh, Zach and Jeff, uh, but I want to add something to it. So this whole situation, in my opinion, shows the show uh, attack vector like into the cryptocurrencies, because basically if you if your project ha have some kind of centralized uh, figure that that is basically like the face of the coin, uh, we we all know what happened with like Satoshi. He was smart smart enough to to mitigate this attack vector, and basically he was anonymous. He he stepped aside. There is no central figure in the Bitcoin space. Like try to delist Bitcoin because like you or me will would do something something bad uh, in our like uh, personal lives. Like there is no no guy in Bitcoin like like the Craig Wright was uh, in the BSV. So this is showing the great attack vector on those cryptocurrencies like Ethereum with Vitalik, like Litecoin with Charlie. It all shows like those those attack vectors. And uh, it's like funny to see that Satoshi was smart, smart enough to like uh, he, he thought about it probably before he even created the coin. So that's great. And yeah, this is what I wanted to add. Yeah, it is the perfect example of why this why having a centralized leader is a is an attack vector. If people didn't get it before, uh, now they're gonna get the big difference between Bitcoin and all the rest, which have these centralized leaders. This this is the lesson we can we can take from the drama from uh, the, the beginning of the week. And I do hope this is the end of, of, of that drama and we can, because it's always good to ignore that uh, person that was, that some of you said his name. I don't even, I don't even try to say his name. He, <laughs> he, he, he wants, he just thrives off of that attention. And there's just some people that, that are like that, I guess. And you gotta just don't give them the attention. All right. Well, so I want, I want, can, I, can I add one more thing in there? Please. There's a corollary to what, uh, Tony said basically the attack vector. I, I, Chris DeRose is sort of famous for reiterating the issue that he views centralized exchanges as an attack vector for Bitcoin. And we just saw sort of this uh, hypothetical attack vector being exploited for BSV. Um, and whether or not, Sato I, I think it's less relevant that Satoshi's identity is unknown than that Bitcoin is so expensive uh, relative to previous price points that seen before or traded at before. Um, like if BSV was trading at, or I should take it back one more notch, asset, exchanges only list assets because they can make money off of them. So if you're an asshole, but, you're at, but your asset is being traded at like $15,000, dollars $50,000, like they're not just going to give up that profit and let someone else swoop in and claim that part of the market. But because your asset is uh, terrible, and I'm trying really hard not to curse right now for you, my man, uh, because your asset is terrible and you're a terrible person, Exchanges have no problem delisting a low-volume asset because you're also an asshole. Um, 
but there's no one. So no one is going to exploit this theoretical attack vector of Bitcoin and just delist Bitcoin or something because there is so much money to be made. Like the profit around Bitcoin is, is its greatest security feature in a number of ways. The most relevant to this conversation of which is the fact that it prevents these more or less kingmakers in the crypto space from just obliterating the liquidity, a lot of which does take uh, place on their platform because Bitcoin is so valuable. Um, just want to nip that a little bit in the bud, which as a corollary to what you were talking about, the attack vector of Satoshi's identity and the founder's identity and whatnot. Um, founder's identity can be an attack vector, but exchanges won't react if your asset is profitable to them. And Bitcoin is. BSV is clearly not. <laughs> good. Very, very good point. Very good point. Hey, but I mean, BSV people can do their own exchanges and then make it profitable. Yeah. Or, I mean, good luck to them. Good luck. Anyone can, you know, you could have a Bcash based exchange. You know, I... I wasn't going to bring this up, but um, I guess I, I asked Jeff this because I, I thought you were going to get into this. Uh, do, you, do you think Bcash should be? Uh, you, you said you've always thought that BSV shouldn't be listed. Thus, right. sh should Bcash not? Or are you one of those guys that are like, I'm disappointed BSV is listed, is, has been delisted because Bcash hasn't been delisted? Well, I mean, I don't believe in any of these coins, to be 100% honest with you, but, you know, at the current time, it's a free market and there's money to be made in selling Bcash, right? Uh, and it does seem to have at least somewhat more liquidity than BSV. If I were running an exchange, would I want to list it? Well, you know, I kind of believe in the uh, the old quote that I originally heard it from Safety. If you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes, right? You know, so in the short term, you might make some money. Long term, I'm not so sure. But to get, I guess, get to the heart of your question... BSV is certainly less, I mean, excuse me, Bcash is certainly less centralized, as much as it pains me to say this, as, as compared to BSV. Um, so I would not take the extra leap that just because BSV was ridiculous to list, Bcash is also ridiculous to list, at least in comparison to other altcoins that are being listed that are frankly even more ridiculous, right? I mean, there's exchanges that list Ripple, and that's just a single corporation basically just shilling their own script. Uh, so, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, I don't have the same, let's, I guess the best way to put it is I don't have the same level of scorn for listing Bcash that I do BSV. Okay, there, there you go. There's a there's a good take on that right there. And he he, he, had, he said some hard to accept uh, facts for some people there, but uh, yeah, BSV is in a whole another realm when, when, when compared to, to Bcash. Okay, enough. I've, I've, oh God, I feel dirty talking about all these, all these altcoins and such. Let us move on to uh, something that was, some people talked about this, some people, I talked about this earlier in this, in the week, uh, Afghanistan and Tunisia's central bank governors say state Bitcoin bonds can help access needed investment. So basically, We've got talk out of Afghanistan, of all places, that they're going to issue Bitcoin bonds. Uh, it sounds okay. It, it wasn't really clarified in the article exactly what they meant. I mean, I personally wouldn't buy, I wouldn't trust the government of Afghanistan, of all governments, to pay me back anything if I were to, to, to give them, a, to buy a bond from them. Uh, Zach, what, what did you think about this? Um, I saw headlines for it and a little discussion on Twitter. Honestly, didn't uh, 
read articles around it. I mean, it's it's interesting. People are exploring new ways to incorporate Bitcoin in a variety of ways into existing like financial tools and products. Um, whether or not it actually uh, launches and after that, whether or not people actually buy these Bitcoin bonds um, are two pretty big open questions. Um, but it's cool to see, it's always cool to see like sovereign nations uh, pay positive attention. I would probably categorize this as more or less positive attention to Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency, digital asset space, whatever you want to label it in general. Um, and yeah, I guess I agree, like on balance, this, there's no real like negative takeaway from this. Uh, like there are like proposed plans or like uh, hypothetical plans. I didn't, I don't know if they were actually like proposing this or set a date when these would be available for purchase. But yeah, interesting, cool. Um, pretty, uh, I would say maybe a little bit too harsh, but may, this is pretty insignificant in the grand scheme of like adoption, at least right now. And maybe long-term in the future. But if someone wants to toy around with Bitcoin bonds, like be my guest, go for it. And it's always cool to see sovereign nations play with Bitcoin. So, Do you, uh, do you think we'll see some uh, bigger countries actually get into this and do this? Do, do, you, do you see this actually happening? Because again, this is all theoretical right now. Um, bonds or just government? B Bitcoin bonds, Bitcoin-based bonds yeah. issued by governments. Um, maybe. I mean, whenever like uh, state and local governments or sovereign nations, like federated governments, do something new, um, other governments are always obviously watching. And so if Afghanistan and whatever the other country was, like happen to have some sort of marginal amount of success with this Bitcoin bond proposal, then other governments will already be watching and will probably jump on uh, this train too. And if not, then we can all just laugh at them and move on to something else. Um, so, I mean, it just depends on if these people who are trying to like pioneer this have any sort of success. Well, good luck, Afghanistan, Tunisia, and Uzbekistan. Yes, those were the three countries, uh, mentioned. Hang on one second. Craigship.com says pound that like button and the bell and follow Adam. Yes. Pound, pound that like button. All right. <laughs> Tony, what do you think about these Bitcoin bonds? Uh, yeah, so I also think that this isn't huge in terms of like adoption in the grand scheme. But uh, reading this article, I saw like few red flags. For example, there was a mention of Hyperledger in it uh, very often. So I don't know what uh, what kind of Bitcoin uh, bonds are there, but are they stored on some kind of Hyperledger blockchain, which isn't really blockchain? Yeah, I, I, I had those red flags when I'm reading about uh, tools like that. Also, what's about securing the keys? Because your your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin, and if you are lending it to, to somebody else, it's not your Bitcoin anymore. Even for like few, a few percent, I wouldn't trust anyone with, uh, with storing my keys, because storing the keys is, is a hard job to do. And um, also, it's like another product to, product to, to make Bitcoin uh, like relates to the uh, legacy financial systems. Uh, and it's like, I'm seeing it all the time, like those uh, legacy financial uh, people are trying to, they are basically playing with these kids, uh, kids toy where, where you have those shapes and you are trying to fit them into the, uh, the cavities. And for example, Bitcoin is the, the, the rectangle and they are trying to mash it, uh, mash it into like the circle uh, cavity or the triangle cavity. They are just trying to fit it in and 
they they basically can do that so easily because Bitcoin has its own rules and yeah. Uh, this is how I see it. Well, uh, you bring up a, a great point. Uh, how can you how can you trust that you're even going to get it back? And there was a lot of mumbo jumbo in the article about hyperledger. That that I, I was like, do these people even know what they're talking about? Is it's just are they just trying to get some attention to their country? Uh, when when I started reading the hyper, I, I lost I you know I lost my way. It got a little confusing there when I heard about uh, hyperledger. Uh, Jeff. Will you be sending Hamid Karzai your Bitcoin anytime soon? I, I don't think it's actually a real story. Uh, and I'll explain what I mean by that. I, I, th I think that it's one of two things. Uh, one, that it was done just for publicity, as you mentioned. Or two, that as some people have speculated on Twitter, that it's like a, a lost in translation issue. Um, and the reason that I think that is that it's wholly illogical. So if you're a sovereign government, collecting taxes and other receipts in your native currency and issuing bonds in Bitcoin, that's equivalent to taking a massively risky short position in Bitcoin, an asset with potentially very high volatility will fairly quickly by doing that. The only reason as a country with control over your own currency why you'd want to issue bonds in another currency is if you had trouble obtaining credit in your home currency, right? So you, you feel that it would be easier to obtain credit and therefore the risks of issuing a bond that's not denominated in the same currency as the currency over which you control is outweighed by the greater access to credit. However, in the case of a country like Afghanistan or any of these other countries, if they were going to do that, it's much less risky for them to issue your denominated or dollar is huge appreciation in the dollar or the euro against their home currency it's not the same level of risk as bitcoin right where we've seen run-ups over a couple months of you know from a few thousand dollars to twenty thousand dollars per bitcoin so that's why i don't think this is a real story it's just either an attention-seeking thing or they're proposing issuance of some sort of blockchain-based bond that has nothing to do with bitcoin and between the you know potential language issues and the fact that nobody that reports on this stuff understands it, the word Bitcoin just got thrown in there. That's yeah. my theory on it. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're, they're creating their own altcoin on Hyperledger. Who know, who knows what it is? Jeff, you're uh you're you're fading in and out a little bit there. I don't know. You might want to uh try it out without your 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 picture or something like that. But I, I'll I'll get back okay. I'll get back to you in a second. So moving on, uh we. In, I, this this was in the news, and I'm connecting it to, to Bitcoin here. The Trump administration will cap money sent by U.S. citizens to their relatives in Cuba to $1,000 per person every three months, reversing President Obama's lifting of all restrictions. Cuba is highly dependent on remittances from the United States, which amounted for $3 billion in uh, 2016. Now, all right, we – this – Cutting the remittances to Cuba, that's not going to um, – they're not going to be all of a sudden be a lot of people sending Bitcoin back and forth. It's it's not that big. What The reason I bring it up is because if Trump is willing to do that, people have suggested to him uh, to cut remittances to Mexico and to Honduras and to these other countries. Now, that that's a lot of money being sent back and forth. Uh, so I think that would make a huge – I think – people would start using Bitcoin at that point for their remittances. So I, I, I hope Trump does uh, 
take it to the next level and, and ban remittances to uh, those uh, those uh, Central American countries in, in Mexico. Uh, Zach, do you think that's a, a real possibility that this could happen? And do you think it would make a, a big difference that th those people would start figuring out like, okay, we can't send remittances back to the tr traditional way. We're going to do it with Bitcoin now. Uh, yeah, obviously. I think there's like um, a chance worth talking about that this could happen. Um, I don't have any data in front of me on like per country annual remittances sent to like Cuba and other Latin American countries. Um, but it's obviously like somewhat material amount of money. Um, mostly just like personally, I'm annoyed that the U.S. keeps like taking these hostile foreign policy stances towards Cuba and other countries because uh, they're beautiful and I want a vacation there. But uh, specific to like monetary policy, um, it's like it. Well, maybe not necessarily now, but within within the next five years for sure. Like it's the perfect storm of development around Bitcoin. That would make this scenario where uh, Cubans or Mexicans or uh, anyone from a Latin American country living in the United States trying to send money back to their family, relatives, friends um, in their home country could use a variety of tools and uh, software built for Bitcoin, um, specifically like layers on top of Bitcoin. Um, and like Latin America right now, specific to tools that people in those countries can use, uh, we see like enormous explosion, which I still don't completely understand, but enormous explosion of like crypto ATMs, um, which apparently is a wildly profitable market to be like building a business in right now. Um, Jeff, I think your mic's on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's obviously a, it's obviously a great use case and like certain policy developments that make it like more... Uh, likely that people will use Bitcoin as an alternative to like opt out of these sort of inconvenient and arbitrary restrictions set on their remittance uh, sending abilities is obviously great. So um, it's great for the, it could be great for the price, but it's also great that there exists this option that people can opt out and use something else and say, like, I don't care, Do, pass whatever policies you want. I'm still going to send money wherever I want. And that's just the beauty of Bitcoin. Tony, what do you think about remittances? Yeah, so uh, in the political stance, I, I feel it should be all open to, to all the countries. Uh, but the, when we are speaking about Bitcoin, I think the the Bitcoin tools are already existing for like the Southeast Asia countries. If you want to like hire somebody there, uh, there are tools like uh, Bitwage, I guess, uh, on the market since like 2017 and you basically can can like outsource the work there but when it comes to remittances i don't know i just want them to be open because why not <laughs> yeah but i again I, hey i like people being free to send their money back and forth but the way remittances are currently set up traditionally they can be cut off they are centralized and it would prove that bitcoin is a true de decentralized way to send your uh, your money across borders, people would suit would see. Well, wait a second. Trump can shut down Western Union or, or whatever. Why would why have we been dealing with these all these years? Let's let's learn about something that no president, that no person can uh, shut down. So, uh, so that's I, why I give it. That's why I give it like five years, maybe. Like if Trump passed that legislation today for Cuba and any other all other Latin American countries, I'm not sure. I think people would be just mostly screwed, but there would be a small percentage of people that would use Bitcoin. Um, it's just, it, there's, 
in the next five years, there's just so much wrong with Bitcoin's UI UX experience for a lot of these applications that a lot of people, uh, it would just be brutal for them to actually try and use Bitcoin for what it's meant to be used for. Um, so over the next five years, I'm incredibly bull. Like, I mean, over the past five, seven, eight years, we've seen an immense improvement, which also goes to show how terrible it was five years ago. But over the coming five years, these applications that allow people to use Bitcoin for what it's meant to be used for, like this specific case, uh, will just radically improve. Um, but if they, I'm, I don't know. I have mixed feelings. And if they will, if this was to be passed today, if people would be forced to like uh, limit like a thousand dollars a month or a thousand dollars every three months or something, um, Bitcoin obviously is meant to fill that void of like uh, value transfer. But um, it would just be a brutal experience, and we obviously want to optimize for not that. Yeah, uh, you bring up a reoccurring theme: uh, the the user experience, uh, user interface. It's still hard. It isn't. It might not be something that people that uh, are you know not that well financially and are, are working uh, long hours and sending money. They might not be that skilled to even get into the Bitcoin. I mean, it's not. Bitcoin hasn't had its Netscape moment yet where, uh, you know, the, the Internet was very sure. once Netscape came about, the, the user interface was much easier for the Internet than it previously had been. So uh, th this this yeah. is this is a point. But there is I, I do want to again, I want to I mean, this is my opinion, but I'm pretty sure I'm correct on this. There's a big difference from what Trump is doing to Cuba because it's just not as many people. And it's then totally cutting off. Uh, remittances to Mexico and Honduras and Guatemala, which some people are proposing. That would be a tremendous news story, first of all. And so it would wake a lot of people up and, and really, it would put people in a pretty brutal situation. <laughs> um, and, and I think they would be, they would learn Bitcoin quickly, but it, it wouldn't be easy. Uh, Jeff, your thoughts on this? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think everyone pretty much touched on all the important points. It's just a, my only thought is that it's a market opportunity for some more Bitcoin adoption. You know, it's not going to be an overnight thing. It's not going to be that all these people are going to immediately move to Bitcoin if it happens because of the UI UX issues that everyone else mentioned. Uh, but nonetheless, it's a, it's a, we should look at it as an opportunity. Maybe we should just talk about some UI and you. When do you guys think this is gonna? Get, when is it gonna be a little bit easier, man? Um, because you know it's been around for ten years and it's it scares people off when they see these public addresses that are just a bunch of numbers and or, and letters and it it, it could be. A, I mean, I couldn't. I really couldn't show it to my mom yet and for her to be comfortable. It's not even close to that. I mean, Jeff, you got some technical skill there. What are you, what are some predictions on your part for uh, UI, uh, for user experience improving? It's, you know, it's incremental. I think a big part of the reason why the UI UX stuff has lagged is because for the past 10 years, we've been working on the back end, right? I mean, that's really needed a lot of improving and that's changed a lot over these years. Everything from SegWit to Lightning. I mean, Lightning is a, I don't know, you know, how many of our listeners have a technical background, but if you really dig into the source code for Lightning and really look at the protocol, I mean, it's a very, very, very complicated protocol. So until a lot of that sort of stuff gets straightened out, not that we shouldn't be working on UI, UX at the same time, but as the back end protocols change, you know, the, the front end UI, UX stuff is going to keep struggling to keep up. And I think that's going to be the case for a while longer. 
All right, Tony, you, you're a lightning guy too. By the way, people check out all these guys' links below. Uh, Tony's got a channel, by the way, and he 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 was the Raspberry Pi guy I mentioned. We'll we'll mention that at the end of the show. User experience, user interface. Tony, what do you think about that stuff? So, like with all, there are levels to it. So basically, you can either have super centralized wallet on your phone, which basically connects to the server of the creator of the wallet, and I guess everybody can use that because it's like just just an app on on the phone up to the point where you have your own node, you've got your own Lightning Network node, and you are basically doing uh, transactions uh, from your own node and either some kind of Electrum servers or something like that. Uh, you can you can basically have many levels of, uh, of your own uh, security, but when it comes to like uh, user experience, it's the ones that are the the less secure in terms of the backend, they are the, the easiest uh, easier to, to use because this is what it is. <laughs> and you can basically uh, grade your uh, your UI how much you want because there, there is a ton of uh, ton of wallets, ton of applications. Uh, you can use hardware wallets. Even right now, there are new uh, pull requests to the uh, to the Bitcoin Core uh, Core. Uh, software that you can basically use your own Trezor, uh, Ledger, or any other hardware wallet uh, with your Bitcoin Core, Bitcoin Node. So yeah, I think we are moving there, but uh, the, the incremental is very slow. As, as uh, Jeff said, we were mostly focused on the backend. And uh, until the backend is like super easy to deploy, until everybody can until everybody can can deploy their own uh, their own Bitcoin uh, validator into, for example, phone, maybe in terms of Neutrino or or any other uh, any other software like that, uh, we have to wait for 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 this uh, for this point to to come, and then we can basically have very secure uh, Bitcoin with the great UI. Pound that like button, bring on that great UI. Zach, when do you foresee this happening, or are you frustrated also? <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I'm not. No, I'm not frustrated. But I also spend way more time, as I'm sure all of us do, like using and testing these products and stuff um, than the average person would want to or can afford to. Um, I think Jeff's spot on. Uh, it's a great point that we spend so much time on the back end and the UI, UX, front end development, design work. Um, will come in its turn, but uh, it's a good point to note. I also think just at a higher level, the monumental challenge of taking this piece of technology that we've never really sort of successfully deployed before that gives its users an unprecedented amount of financial and like individual responsibility to manage these assets that they're holding now in a way that's sort of as convenient and easy to use as um, the applications, the incumbent applications, products and services that it's trying to replace is just like a fucking unbelievably large challenge. Um, so there is some patience that's due, but also like it just kind of sucks right now. The UI UX user experience elements of all these Bitcoin and Lightning products. Um, so it'll change and there's a variety of reasons as we've noted why it's not better right now, but uh, it's, a, it's a pretty big ask to make it uh, make user experience as good as other products that Bitcoin is trying to or would ideally uh, replace. So I don't know. Yeah, Def a lot. Defer gratification with that stuff, guys. It'll come eventually. I mean, it, it yeah, it'll, 
eventually. Just as the internet was hard once, uh, Bitcoin can be hard for some people now. And you should, you should. Uh, here's some official financial advice: you should try and buy some Bitcoin before the user experience improves too much, because once it improves, everybody will use it. Um, there's just really no reason not to at least play around with it. Um, I think uh, the biggest barrier, maybe one of the bigger barriers for sure to like using or exposing yourself to Bitcoin and the Lightning Network and all these different applications and things that are being built around it is how difficult they are to use. Because a lot of people understand like payment systems suck. They're like modern banking is incredibly inconvenient and efficient in a variety of number of ways that frustrate people on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but the UI UX of like Bitcoin and Lightning products is so bad that a lot of people are just like, oh, that's like weird internet money. They may try and play around with it and find it too difficult and forget about it. But when the UI UX is up to speed, um, you should probably probably consider owning some some Bitcoin before we reach that point. Uh, that was an incredible point. Pound that like button, people. That's what you get on this show. That that was really good, Zach. That was, yeah, people. If it if it's easy, uh, you're too late. So no, you're ne you're never too late. You're never too late. But it's not easy now. So you're in well as a as an analog like back when Bitcoin first got a price. You had to be, be basically like a pro C++ developer to like get any Bitcoins. And now we have this army of centralized exchanges and we're sitting at like a $5,000 plus dollar price and it's still pretty inconvenient, but that's an enormous return from like 10 cents to 5K and the UX, UI UX is still awful. So the more it improves, the more expensive it'll get. Just, I mean, buy accordingly or don't, I don't care. <laughs> yes. Strong and people who already have it think about that too. You don't <laughs> keep your hands strong. You don't want to regret selling it before it, it became easy to use. All right, so let's. Jeff brought this up to me, or Jeff had a tweet about this, which informed me about this situation that I didn't know about. And I'm I'm interested in I'm bringing this up because Gab, they're fans of Bitcoin, okay, and maybe they can incorporate Bitcoin in some way. Gab is forking Brave to keep the privacy stuff while removing the dumb bot altcoin. And we successfully forked Brave's open source code base and have a buildup. So I'll only ask Jeff about this since this was a topic you tweeted about. What's going on over there? What's, what's the latest with Gab? What's your, what are your thoughts? So basically here's the story. Um, Gab's latest product, which I think has become already more popular than their social network, is essentially a browser extension that will allow you to comment on any website. Uh, so it's censorship resistant in that only Gab could censor it, right? And they seem pretty committed to not doing so. Um, and anyone that has this browser extension, because it works on the front end, can see whatever comments other people, it's called dissenter, the extension. Anyone that uses dissenter can see all the, all the comments posted by everyone else that uses dissenter. And because it's rendered through JavaScript on the front end, uh, the underlying website itself can't stop the comments. They can't censor the comments. So they put this out a while back. Uh, and then Columbia Journalism Review uh, did a story on it. And as journalists do nowadays, their Columbia Journalism Review is obviously very opposed to the concept of free speech for anyone other than professional journalists. Uh, so CJR tattled on uh dissenter to both the google chrome extension store and the mozilla extension store and got them delisted so you can still install the extension by going to gab's website but you can't do it from the stores 
So based on this, Gab decided to come up with its own browser, uh, which would have the Decenter extension built into it by default so that people wouldn't have to go to the Gab website in order to do it. And the way they decided to do that was by forking, as I mentioned in my tweet, forking Brave uh, to keep all the privacy features of Brave. And then in the fork, they're going to remove the BAT altcoin stuff. They're going to add the Decenter extension to make that an integral part of the browser. And there's been some speculation that they may at some point integrate lightning payments as well, although we don't know that for sure. So Brendan Ike kind of freaked out about this on Twitter and called uh, Andrew Torb a, a parasite uh, for forking his browser and removing the altcoin. So he was very upset. One of the more amusing parts of the exchange was someone commented, well, you know, forking isn't being a parasite, you know, yada, yada, yada. And Brendan's response was, well, it's silly to fork just because, just for an extension. And the person indicated, well, you know, you know that, that may be true or not true, but they want to make it easier. They want it to be a default option. Brendan's response was that... Uh, you know, people are never going to install a new browser anyway, so that was silly. To which Gab responded, I think, quite astutely, then why are you running a browser company if you believe that no one's going to install a new browser? Why bother, you know, uh, um, running a browser company? So that's basically where we stand. It was a little Twitter feud that broke out between Andrew Torba and Brendan Ike regarding this fork. Overall, I'm happy to see it. Um, if any listeners are using Google Chrome out there, you should not be. Google Chrome is, in fact, malware. It's terrible. Uh, Firefox is certainly a lot better. However, their extension store, as we've seen this week, due to uh, from banning to center, does seem to be on the censorship train. So it's good to have another option out there in web browsers that is not spyware constantly phoning your information home to the creator. Ooh, harsh words there about Google Chrome. Uh, Vention just sent, and thank you for, for your summary of that. Vention just sent $5 in the super chat. He said, that's awesome. I never registered to receive Brave donation because I'd have to do KYC and complicate my taxes. If the Gab fork works, that might be okay. Okay. Um, yeah, you can, you, you can play with the, the, the Gab browser. That, that's uh, better than the, uh, maybe it'll be better than the, the Brave uh, browser. Um, I, I do. Uh, I, do you guys have any thoughts on this? Uh, I, I didn't prep you guys for this as, as a topic, but uh, Zach or uh, Tony, do you have any anything to say about the brave uh, gab situation? Yeah, I think it's great. Like I, um, I, I kind of hate gab a little bit, um, but I appreciate like their conviction, and uh, I wish them all the best in what they do. And I think it's ludicrous to call somebody who forks your project a parasite. Um, but, uh, I didn't know actually that, uh, Google Chrome and whatever other browser app store delisted the, um, the Gab chat forum app. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, the project's like trying to do the right thing, uh, see what happens with its future, but, um, Braves, Brendan's response, it sounds pretty dumb. So yeah. that's the extent of my opinion. You got to be, if you put your stuff out there, you got to be ready in this space for somebody to fork off of it. I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> it's been going on for a little while here in, in, in the crypto space. Uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah, forks are forks. Uh, Tony, uh, it, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Tony. Yeah, so many of my friends that are into cryptocurrency, they use, they are using the, the Brave browser. So, which was weird because for me, it's like you have to install it and, you know, 
there is a hassle to, to install a, a new browser. But I guess many people are using it, so it's pretty popular. And yeah, why not forking it if, if the code is open source and, and basically you can create a better product out of it? Why not? So yeah, I'm, I'm all hands uh, fork up. They are trying to do the, the good thing. And, and like the Brave browser is like pretty good as far as privacy goes, like token issues aside, um, but also like usability aside. So I, I've heard that like in the past couple, several months, like the browser usability has improved dramatically. I've used it off and on for like six months ago for a couple of months. I've used it off and on and then just switched back to Chrome and Firefox because Brave was just unbelievably unusable. Um, but if like if that has in fact improved and if now Gab is like forking it to add these sort of um, what you might call these like alternative messaging platforms. I, I don't call them censorship resistant, but they're just like alternative uh, messaging platforms, then that could be a great browser and um, always in the market for a better browser. So, Cool. All right. I got, I got a, a question on a different subject for you, Zach. Uh, the Adamant Capital report came out. And unfortunately, uh, yeah. I, 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 didn't, I didn't get to read the whole thing. Uh, I read all of it because uh, you had to give your email address, but you can give a fake email address, which I didn't even realize. And But one, one of the conclusions, I believe, was that a lot of uh, that holders have been accumulating. Uh, so can you tell us some things that stuck out in the report to you or some just points you wanted to share about it? Yeah, um, so it's like a 13, 15 page report, I believe. Um, it's been all over Twitter. I highly recommend you reading it. And the DocSend form that they published it uh, via does uh, request an email address. Um, that's just for them to distribute more research in the future. They do record that address, but it doesn't verify the email at all. You can submit a dummy address if you want to read the report, which I recommend you do. Both of those things, submit a dummy address and read the report. Um, yeah, so the report necessarily wasn't anything groundbreaking. It was just a solid piece of high-quality research that confirmed what a lot of people have already been saying, that right now in the market cycle, we're sort of solidly in an accumulation phase. Um, and contrary to the very strong opinions of a few people who predicted that we fall still and find a new bottom in like the high 2000 range, um, from all appearances, we've sort of found our range in like the three to six K for the next few months or however long this sort of uh, prolonged cycle lasts. Um, but the short and sweet of it is people are accumulating Bitcoin. Um, and again, maybe you should consider doing that too. Um, if you don't, I don't care. You can probably try it later when it's more expensive. Um, but the report is like, they published two previous reports in like equivalent phases of the market cycles in 2012 and 2015. And this third report basically says, look, this is where we are again. People are buying Bitcoin. Um, we're sort of at the uh, like hope sentimental indicator phase of the market cycle. And like the just is just people are buying Bitcoin. They introduced some new metrics uh, or they just sort of reiterated some new metrics they'd previously introduced in a couple of publications Adamant has um, for measuring on-chain data or, or tracking on-chain data to measure like market sentiment and uh, tracking phases of Bitcoin cycles. Um, but yeah, the TLDR is people are buying Bitcoin. We've probably found a bottom and we're, we're sort of going to go more or less sideways in a certain range for a little while. But good report. Well, I'm I'm glad to know that the strong hands are accumulating, and in a few years, the weak hands will be like, "Well, I didn't know, or you got lucky, or so come up with some excuse." Uh, but the report's out there, so uh, 
Uh, I, I, I'll read it. Uh, did you any other any other big uh, thoughts from the report, Zach? Any other conclusions? Um, not really. Uh, I. Um, it's it's like it's very dense in they parse everything uh, of like this phase of the market cycle we're in compared to equivalent periods in previous cycles and from the all time high a year and however many months ago. Um, but that like that's the gist of it. Like the title pretty much gives you all you need to know from a high level. And he just goes very deep over a dozen or so pages and explains exactly why. Um, but I, if you are interested in sort of knowing where we are, where we most likely are in Bitcoin's current cycle, or if you want to send sort of like a very polished, um, robust, peer-reviewed uh, research product to friends who are interested in Bitcoin, um, like this is an excellent resource to share. Adamant always does great research. So, yeah. That's, all right. That's all I have to say. So the fiat freaks will like that, like it too. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll like that. All right. Uh, the, Tony, or have you? Did you hear about this at all? Or I, I don't want to put you on it. Or Jeff, did you? Did you have any thoughts on it? I didn't assign not, the report. Not really, but uh, I've got a comment. Uh, I'm watching your channel because you are always giving people this advice. Wait, two hundred ten thousand blocks, <laughs> and other people like they are trying to do the reports. They are trying to to draw some lines on the on the chart, and they are like guessing. Oh, maybe Bitcoin will will go up in terms of fiat. Maybe like next quarter. Maybe like after the summer. Maybe after the winter. And you are always giving this uh, this great advice. Just wait, two hundred ten thousand blocks, and I think that's the best advice. Yes, it's and remember, I'm saying not to wait to buy in two hundred ten thousand blocks. <laughs> sure. Just wait to see what it's going to be worth in two hundred. Make sure you have it, and then you'll be pretty happy in two hundred ten thousand blocks. Yeah, I simplify it a lot, and some people write giant reports on it. Some people. And it's cool to write a giant report on it. But then some people make all these crazy charts and they worry about the price from day to day. I'm not a big fan of that. I like reports. I'm not a big fan of the magical charts, which predict magical numbers in a magical amount of time or whatever. I, I try to just you know, have people have strong hand, long-term thinking. I'm glad you appreciate that. You're not impulsive. You defer gratification. Uh, Jeff, any thoughts on the report or, or anything, I guess? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I pretty much concur with you guys. Short-term price has never been interesting to me. You know, the reason I spend time in Bitcoin is because I'm interested in the long-term ability of sound money to potentially change the world. And that's why, you know, I tend to focus my time more on studies in that regard and also, you know, cont contributing myself to open source projects to get, you know, that back-end technology we were talking about making, you know, helping in any way I can with that. Short-term price, not my wheelhouse. All right, let, let you, good segue there. How's Libra Patron going on? And, and what, what what is that exactly? For those not yeah. familiar. Yeah, so Libra Patron is uh, an extension, or I guess you would say a plug-in for BTC Pay server. Uh, if you're running a BTC Pay server, it's just one extra command to spin up a Libra Patron. And in short, it's a Patreon clone. You know, I put it together attempting to emulate all the major features of Patreon. So if you're a Bitcoiner and you're currently a Patreon user, you can just slide right over to Libre Patron and you shouldn't see too big of a disruption. One of the things that I did build into it so that you don't necessarily have to maintain a separate Patreon and Libre Patron is the ability to process fiat payments through credit cards. So even though it's attached to BTC Pay Server, 
which obviously means it takes Bitcoin and Lightning payments on a recurring basis. Uh, people can also sign up if you activate it using a credit card, and that's processed through Square. So the advantages here are, number one, it's self-hosted, so you can't be censored the way so many people have been censored on Patreon. Number two, it's backed by Bitcoin, so you can obviously get paid in Bitcoin. And number three, even if you don't care about any of that stuff at all, it saves you money because it doesn't take 10% off the top the way that uh, you know Patreon does. I don't take any fee at all. This isn't a business for me. This is a project that I put out there with no monetization strategy whatsoever. Um, so if you're interested in checking it out, just install BTC Pay Server. If you go uh, to LibrePatron.com, you can see the instructions for the extra couple commands you run to spin up LibrePatron along with your BTC Pay Server, and you're good to go. Uh, you're totally self-hosted, you're sovereign, and you can start getting some recurring donations if you're a content creator. Uh, and check him out. He's Jeff's link, his uh, Twitter is below, and you can find all his stuff on his Twitter too. Tony, uh, I, I've got a, I guess a broad question on, on your channel. You've, you bring up some lightning stuff. You, you are a technical guy. Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot or anything. What, what are some, some lightning news out there you think people might be interested in, or you could talk about your raspberry Pi thing that you, you mentioned on your channel. I thought that was pretty cool. Sure. So, so I plug it in, uh, cause there are guys who are, for example, doing projects like that. I don't know if it's visible, uh, but you can basically spin off your own uh, Bitcoin Lightning node on your desk on Raspberry Pi and uh, do the Lightning Network transactions. So I'm just I'm just the educator. I'm just trying to, to let people know how to do that and uh, what's, what's the latest technology. Uh, about Lightning Network, I think the, the recent news is about those uh, loop-in types of payments because uh, with Lightning Network, there is a problem. If you are creating a channel to, to somebody, for example, I want to pay you, uh, pay you Adam, uh, I would have to create a channel to, to somebody with, with my uh, Bitcoin funds on it. And it's only like uh, only good if I'm transferring uh, up to this this amount that it's on my channel. But what uh, what if like this amount is is getting used? I would have to like take money from somebody else on the Lightning Network. Those are basically one uh, uh, one way channels. And there is a new uh, new invention by Lightning uh, Lightning Labs. They are proposing this kind of uh, software uh, loop in, loop out. That basically you can create a submarine swap uh, with your peers, and uh, you can basically like refund those channels again. So that's that's a great uh, great tech. Uh, we had this this interview with Peter Peter Reason today on the What Bitcoin Did podcast with Peter McCormack. He's a great uh, enemy of the Lightning network so uh, one of his points is that those channels can't be balanced and uh, right now with this new technology loop in loop out we can balance the channel better than, than before so yeah we are moving forward like incrementally step at the time just moving forward with the technology and i think we will get there sooner, sooner or later yeah i i heard about this uh, and i did not explain it well on my show you did you did a good job there and again people check him out he is linked to below and he's got all sorts of informative videos that get into the tech side of things all right so yeah we're, we're, we're at the end here so i want everybody to give their uh their conclusionary thoughts anything that was left thought out uh zach we'll start with you zach what happened to zach he oh. is gone. Oh my God, Zach! 
He dis- he he dropped off. Well, I guess he gave his uh, conclusionary remarks. Then we'll go to uh, Jeff. What what anything you wanted to add that was left off the show? No, I mean, you know, uh, I think we covered it wasn't a super busy news week. You know, uh, we got the holiday coming up this weekend, so that might have been part of the reason. Uh, but like always, you know, you always got to keep up with the tech, the tech news out there. I think it's really important if you are interested in the space to keep up with a lot of these improvements like Lightning Loop that was just mentioned. That's a huge one uh, that I think is going to make things a lot easier for merchants going forward. Uh, particularly because the biggest obstacle for merchants right now that want to accept Lightning is that inbound capacity. And Lightning Loop really attacks that head, that issue head on. So just a good week. Good to see stuff like that still coming out, new developments, things getting easier to use. Awesome. All right, Tony, you, you'll get the you'll get the final word. Yeah, so for me and like for everybody else, just like keeping up with the with the times, like maintaining your your Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin account. Be sure that it's all secure and uh, like well stored. Uh, be sure that you are keep, keeping up with the technology because, like as we said, we are moving forward and uh, the technology is is just uh, expanding. So so yeah, that's those are great great times. Awesome. Well, Tony, you've been I like. Great first time appearance on the show. You'll be back. I hope everybody checks out your channel. I hope everyone checks out your Twitter and Jeff's and Zach because they, they tweet some great stuff out there. You can follow me on Twitter, people. I'm TechBalt, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T. You can watch all my old shows at DisruptMeister.com. And uh, tomorrow is one of my two days off during the year because it's Passover. Passover is going to start in a few hours here. So everybody, I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Subscribe to the channel. Pound pound that like button um, uh, and uh, bang that bell button. Shabbat Shalom. Happy Passover. See you guys on Sunday. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye-bye.